Hello and welcome to Nature Snippets, a podcast about the natural world, about organisms you may find in your backyard and beyond. I'm Declan McCabe, coming to you from St. Michael's College in Colchester, Vermont. Hi folks, I wanted to get into some crustaceans today, and if I said to you what crustaceans have you seen recently, you might come up with crab or lobster or shrimp perhaps, and if I said what crustaceans have you seen in the woods, I suspect that the list would be just a little bit shorter. But there really are some very common crustaceans that live in the woods in most places, and that's what I'm going to focus on today. We don't have to get too exotic about this. There are certainly some interesting crustaceans like lawn shrimp that are native to places like Australia and New Zealand and certainly show up in southern United States and other places. But we don't have them where I live. But you don't have to get quite that exotic to think about some crustaceans. And so what I'm focusing on today are isopods. And you might call them sow bugs or perhaps you call them wood lice or maybe you call them potato bugs or roly-polies. There's a whole bunch of different names and a lot of confusion that exists around these little beasties. But they are very, very common and they're very important in the ecosystem. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start with reading a essay that I wrote for Northern Woodlands magazine. And from there I'm going to just talk a little bit at the end about some of the confusion around names and the importance of names or maybe the lack of importance in some cases because it doesn't much matter what we call them, they still have the same function one way or another. On to the Northern Woodlands essay. So the essay was called Isopods, Crustaceans in the Forest. If you look beneath the damp undersides of cardboard and other packing materials discarded in the woods, you're likely to find tiny creatures that typically hide under fallen leaves and rotting wood, where they're much harder to observe. Common among these invertebrates or what we often call pillbugs, sowbugs, or woodlice. Despite these names, they aren't bugs or insects at all, but crustaceans, more properly referred to as isopods. Isopods comes from the Latin for equal foot, and are so named because all 14 of their legs are nearly identical. Most species are dark grey to brown, slightly flattened from top to bottom, with two pairs of antennae at the front end. The body is pretty much oval in shape. The head-like front segment called the cephalothorax and the next seven segments to which the paired legs are attached make up the perion. This arrangement is similar to an insect's head and thorax except that insects have just three thoracic segments accounting for all six of their legs. Bringing up the rear in the isopods are six more segments called the pleon which are analogous to an insect's abdomen. Two common isopod types are readily distinguishable about the place. The pill bug or the roly-poly type can roll into a protective ball when threatened. This shape also helps it conserve moisture in times of drought. Common species of these appear glossy. Sow bugs lack the ball rolling superpower and have a visible pair of tail-like structures called uropods sticking out of the back end. Pillbugs or roly-polies also have the uropods, but they're concealed when we view them from above. In common with earwigs, earthworms and assorted other invertebrates, many of the species of isopods are not native and came to North America in soil that was used as ship ballast. 
ballast loaded in places such as Amsterdam or Southampton and unloaded in early American ports such as Boston or Burlington liberated most of the soil fauna of northwestern Europe onto a new continent. There's another marine connection to these creatures. They evolved from saltwater ancestors and you can find their salty cousins by kicking over a pile of washed up seaweed. Freshwater relatives also inhabit lakes and ponds. However, if you flip a terrestrial isopod over, you will find a critical difference. Lungs, clearly visible as white patches that are tucked under the rear segments where the gills used to be. These lungs work best in humid conditions that exist in leaf litter or under cardboard. Some basic behaviors keep isopods fed and safe and in the appropriate environment. They're attracted to moisture and when my St. Michael's College students place a dozen isopods in a basin with both moist and dry paper, inevitably, most isopods will wander into the moist portion of the enclosure. The same experiment works well with bright and shaded conditions. Isopods favor the dark, which helps them avoid predators. An exception to this preference is when the aquatic isopod, Gamerus lacustris, is infected by a parasitic worm Instead of living safely between the rocks and in the pond floor mud, the isopod bravely and foolhardily, I guess, climbs onto sunlit rock tops where it is conspicuous to hungry waterfowl. And if its predicament wasn't bad enough, the infected isopod also turns an eye-catching shade of blue. All of this serves the parasite well because it must be eaten by a duck to complete its life cycle. Isopods are easy to overlook, but they're important participants in the detritus food chain. The isopods in your compost are important agents of change, converting leaves to crumbly brown gold that will help your cabbages reach their full potential. They're a sign of healthy, chemical-free soil, and because they mostly eat dead vegetation, they are little threat to your prized hydrangeas or dahlias. Having said that, they have on occasion been known to go after some vegetables and in particular they will go after strawberries particularly when the conditions are too moist. Isopods are unusual among invertebrates in the degree of parental care they provide to offspring. Once a female lays eggs she tucks them into a water-filled pouch called a marsupium where moisture and water chemistry are well controlled. When the eggs hatch the early stage offspring remain in the marsupium where they are provided with food in the form of their mother's feces. And while this might not appeal to human sensibilities, pre-digested plant material contains nutrients that get the youngsters off to an excellent start in life. Like all self-respecting arthropods, isopods shed their exoskeletons to grow, but they do so in a distinctive way. Most arthropods split their old exoskeleton along their dorsal surface and crawl out of their old armour in one fell swoop. Isopod exoskeletons split across the width and the isopods wriggle out of the back end first. Possibly exhausted from that process, they may wait a few days before finishing the process and wriggling out of the front end. As a result, you may find what looks like a half-dead isopod or a live one with one end looking very pale just after the partial molt. All of this is perfectly normal and indicates that they have everything they need in their habitat, whether that's your compost pile or the underside of a discarded Amazon box.
So there you go, our isopods, fascinating little beasties, and something that is very, very easy to grow in a small tank inside your house if you wanted to do so. And some people like to do that. There's a huge growth industry in pet isopods of various colors and variations that people sell and buy and trade, which I found surprising. But you can get them for free. There's one particular species that likes to hang out on bricks. So if you have a few ceramic bricks in your backyard, well, leave them pile up for a while and the isopods will find them. I recently collected a whole bunch. I needed them for a lab exercise at St. Mike's. I priced them on the usual outlets, you know, Carolina Biological Supply. And I think they were going to end up being like a buck fifty for a single isopod. And I thought, that's a little crazy. So I went out into my backyard with a bucket and I turned over some flower pots and I turned over some bricks. And I have a couple of half wooden barrels that I got for growing plants. And I turned those over as well. And, uh, well, I, you know, I made about $150 worth of isopods. Now, if I was in the market for selling them, I suppose that would be a, a nice little growth industry on the side. But it was quicker and easier than purchasing them for what I needed. But they're, they're very, very common, and they really are important in liberating the carbon content of your leaf litter and keeping it in your soil as distinct from it blowing away or being sucked up by a leaf blower and uh, taken out of your yard. So I wanted to finish up by talking a little bit about the names. There's really a strange accumulation of names for these little beasties and um, they have been called obviously wood lice, they've been called armadillo bugs. In Canada, Canada in uh, Newfoundland for example they call them boat builders. Parts of Australia they're called butcher boy or butchy boy. They get called carpenters, they get called cheese logs, cheesy bobs, cheesy bugs, cheeky pigs, chisel pigs, chucky pigs, doodle bugs. House logs, which is one I only heard about recently. Potato bugs is quite common. Um, they're called a roll-up bug, the roly-poly. They're called slaters. And actually, the ones that are found in the other title are often called sea slaters. And wood bunting and wood bug and wood pig. And it's, it's all over the map. And, you know, all names are ultimately made up one way or another. And so this sort of diversity of common names leads to some of these online arguments about what is this thing called... And ultimately, it's a it's a fairly fruitless argument. Call them whatever you want. My favorite one, though, I read in a magazine in the 70s when I was a kid. I had this magazine that would come to the house. And um, one of the common names they had for them was coffin cutters. And all I can say to that is, if this little bug can cut your coffin, you should get your money back. Um, they are not really going after solid wood of any kind. But after the wood is broken down, then you certainly would find them in places in your home, potentially, where moisture has accumulated and the wood is rotting. So they're not destructive to your home, but they are an indication that you've got some moisture issues happening. So I would say embrace your friendly neighborhood isopods and be happy that you've got them in your garden processing your organic matter. I'm going to finish today, for real this time, by talking about a book I have coming out. And uh, the book is about aquatic organisms, and it's based on several essays that I've written over the years for Northern Woodlands magazine and for The Outside Story and for Connecticut Woodlands. And so it's an accumulation of these essays, about 50 of them. And it is called Turning Stones, Discovering the Life of Freshwater. 
And I'm excited to say that it's going to come out in June. We're going through all of the various processes that I'm learning about as I go. It's my first book. So uh, it'll come out with uh, Down East Publishers in Maine. You may have heard me talk about it before. I had a different publisher. And regrettably, this publisher passed away. And uh, unfortunately, um, at that point, of course, you know, um, his company was no longer publishing books. And so uh, my deepest sympathies to his family. But uh, so those of you who've been hearing me talking about a book for about four years now will understand that um, it is finally coming out. You can find it already listed on places like Amazon, which blows my mind because I've yet to see the, the final copy edits. But um, they have a plan to release it June 1, and they tell me that it will ship from the warehouse in terms of getting me a box of these things by May 1. So I'm going to start scheduling a few events to um, talk about the book and um, maybe do some readings in bookstores and things like that. So that's the story. I look for that on June 1, and it is called Turning Stones, Exploring the Life of Freshwater. There we go. Thanks once again for listening. Very much appreciated, and thanks for hanging in this long. Have yourself a wonderful December, and we'll get one more out before the holiday begins. Thank you so very much for listening, folks. I will be back again in a couple of weeks with another episode. If you have liked what you heard, by all means, subscribe. And if you are on Apple Podcasts on an iPhone, that will be the little plus symbol that they have put into the interface.